When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Join over 5,000 attendees for the largest AI event in Asia, Super AI in Singapore, June 5th and 6th, 2024. Edward Snowden, Benedict Evans, Balaji Srinivasan, and over 150 others will hit the stage, joining the industry's most influential to explore and unveil the next wave of transformative AI technologies. Singapore will become a vibrant AI hub for a full week from June 3rd to the 9th, with over 150 side events that will make for unparalleled networking opportunities. Visit superai.com for 20% off tickets with the code REALVISION. Look for the link in the description. Is Goldilocks a fairy tale? Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. With me today is Dr. Sri Kumar, president of Sri Kumar Global Strategies. Hi, Sri. How are you? Very well, and good to be with you again, Maggie. It's always good to see you. And what a week we have to talk about. The economy, U.S. economy humming along. We had decent economic data, no nasty surprises on inflation. Then, of course, the Fed comes out and says it's happy with the progress it's seeing and uh, puts... Uh, rate cuts into the forecast next year if inflation keeps moving lower. Markets rocket off the back of that. The Dow hit an all-time high. The NASDAQ looks to be closing in record territory. The yield on the 10-year closing at its level, lowest level since July. I mean, this has been a really big market move. In fact, before we dive in, um, let's just have a listen to the guests on all week who've been kind of describing the momentum that they see behind this market reaction. Let's have a listen. The way this bond market works right now is, is just like we saw in late October. When it gets ready to go, oh, it's 4.24, it's 4.26, it's 4.8. What just happened? How did it, That's the way it moves. Or if it wants to go in the other way, it's 4.21, it's 4.2. You think it's going to go down? It's 375. And that's the way that it seems to work over and over again. So when it gets ready to move, it will move. The Fed is not going to cut rates unless there's an accident or a crash or a meaningful rollover in the economy. And I disagree. I think the Fed's going to cut 100 basis points regardless um, because they've over-tightened. They've over-tightened, and real interest rates are over 3%, and they're going to take back some of that tightening. So that's the base case. But I think that there are people in line to get into this market because they feel like they missed that pivot into, mm-hmm. you know, from from tightening to easing, because it wasn't really clear there. You know, a lot of folks, instead of being long cash, they've been getting squeezed or they've been getting blown up in bonds up until about the big, you know, November 1st of this year. So uh, it's telling you that, you know, there's a big asset allocation. If we soft land as the economy, which I'm saying the probability has risen, although I'm not certain that's, that's actually going to happen, but it doesn't have to happen. It just needs to stay, remain the modal outcome for market participants for more units of time for the market to rise and those funds to blow. That's all that needs to happen. It's a technical process, not a not a um, not a, a fundamental process. There's a massive amount of positive flows in this market, and it is squeezing the shorts. But uh, Powell is just piling on. Um, we're at three standard deviations 
over the 20 day right now, you see that so rarely RSIs are, uh, you know, stretched more than they've been um, in the last two years. So, um, but again, that's what happens when you get everything aligning together, the flows themselves were already super positive. And then you got this little Powell um, bit on top of that. When everybody gets bullish and everything just seems like coast is clear, it's exactly when um, you need to start looking the other way. Really great to hear all of that. And, um, you know, a shout out for Tony, who, again, has really had his finger on the pulse of sentiment. But I really appreciate it also, Darius and Jim, really laying out some of the dynamics that are happening underneath the hood. As we all focus on fundamentals, there's a lot of sort of seasonality and flow um, that's driving this. So it's really helpful to wrap our head around that. So, Sri, uh, you know, you listen to Jay Powell, and, you know, he says he's not taking a victory lap, but it certainly sounds like this Goldilocks scenario and all the markets are rallying right into Christmas. I mean, what could possibly go wrong, right? But as Jim said, that should maybe make all of us nervous. I don't know, how are you feeling? I mean, do you think this this is like, you know, a, a sort of um, sign that they, they are managing this or are you worried? Maggie, I share Jim's worry. And clearly at the time at which the markets were rallying so sharply, even before the Fed decision uh, Wednesday and before the Powell press conference, he had a job laid out in front of him, which is to restrain market enthusiasm and to make sure that the Fed can still continue with its, with its invest, uh, uh, inflation mitigation objective and not let the rally go uh, up, up, and uh, beyond. On the other hand, he essentially poured gasoline into the fire, and the fire is burning even more uh, broadly, even bigger than before his speech. And that is what is the big surprise to me. It is shocking that the Fed chairman, who begins every press conference by saying he feels for the low and middle income groups and the high cost of living that they are experiencing, and he did that Wednesday as well, the rest of the press conference had very little to do with his initial objective. And I think we are going to pay a price for it. I do not think the interest rates are going to come down as sharply as he has suggested, nor mm. inflation come down at a, in the same basis all the way down. Typically over history, inflation comes up, goes down, and then it goes up again. And that's, I think, the big risk that we all run. So where what will be what will drive that inflation higher? If you see a resurgence in inflation, first of all, are you talking about a spike up in inflation, or you just think inflation is going to be sticky and hang above target here? At the very least, it is going to be sticky with the core inflation rate still in the three and a half percent area, headline being somewhere below it, perhaps about three percent. So we are still talking about. Uh, the inflation remaining at close to two times the Fed target. Now, the Fed does not have the option of declaring victory and walking away because they once made a mistake about inflation being transitory, and now they really have to conquer it. And instead of doing that, they just have declared victory, I think, very prematurely, in my view. That's the first point. Second, your question as to where the pickup in inflation can come from. Mm. It can be because of a widening of the Middle East conflict. 
it could be because of some oil production facilities being destroyed in the war. Anything like that could cause a 20 to 25% oil price increase within a couple of days. And that is going to be reflected in the headline inflation rate. So the Powell forecast, if anything, assuming it is based on economic theory, is assuming perfection everywhere. And that's simply not what happens. That's the reason, Maggie, why I feel that this is not the scenario that is actually going to play out. Hey, everyone, we're going to take a quick break right now to hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. So it's interesting, presumably, we saw Williams, right, one of the Fed officials, try to tamp down some of that enthusiasm. But they had to know, coming out with those rate forecasts, that this was going to happen. Did they just simply miscalculate how quickly things would move? Or do you think they see something that's making them nervous? Do you think, like Jared suggested, that they have over Maybe they're worried that they've over-tightened. Great questions. I'm going to give you three points in response. One, in terms of is something worrying them in the background, clearly you see that the number of bank assets which are underwater because of interest rates remaining much higher than the banks expected, those losses are huge. According to the Federal Reserve Bank of Kansas study, through the end of October, $550 billion of loans, or uh, you're talking about 30% of the regulatory capital is underwater. My guess is that number is going to be increasing. If that's the figure for the banking sector as a whole, some of the banks are likely to have 50, 60% of the regulatory capital being used up in the, for the, to back up these losses. That's one reason. Second, go back to Wednesday morning and you see that Powell gave a, an interview on CNBC and before, I'm sorry, uh, you had Janet Yellen give a, a presentation to CNBC before the Powell conference. And essentially, she said in a not so subtle hint that as inflation has been coming down, interest rates ought to come down also. So this is from the former chair of the Federal Reserve, the present Treasury Secretary, and a lady who repeatedly mentions that they don't interfere in Federal Reserve policy. And Powell clearly heard it. and. This was a few hours before his own press conference, and that may have influenced it as well. Mm. And finally, I like to point out that the Federal Reserve is in fact a political animal, even though they keep repeating that they are free of politics, they don't look at politics. They almost, there is an expression, you protested too much. Why do you go ahead and keep protesting that you're independent? And the reason is that you are not independent. And we are one, one year away from elections. The new president, whoever that may be, gets to either renominate Powell beginning in early 2026, or the new president will decide to replace him. And that also must be influencing the decisions in terms of what is being done uh, right now. I have recommended, Maggie, publicly that the Federal Reserve chairman ought to serve just a one six-year term, not four years like now. Mm. You get six years, you will not be renominated, 
and therefore we are going to reduce the political influence on your decisions. That's not happening. That was a third reason why I think we are seeing what we saw with the Powell press conference. Interesting. One one thing that comes up a lot, Sri. So so um, you know, interesting that you know the election's going to put you could some argue that maybe that's the reason to pull rate cuts forward by the way is that they don't want to be cutting into the election to be seeming political but a lot of people also asking about this uh idea of having to bring down so you mentioned the banks struggling so maybe looking for a reason to bring rates down to take pressure off the banks even though they're not saying that some people also are worried about the interest payments on the US government debt and saying, you know, they've got to bring those down because it's just unsustainable. So as soon as inflation gives them the cover to do that, that's a driving force. What do you think about that? I think all of those are operative. In fact, look at what happened with the net interest payments in the month of November. For about the first time in 20 years, it exceeded defense spending of the United States. So in other words, interest payments take up more resources. And even if interest rates come down, Maggie, there is going to be a lag between the reduction in the interest rate and the reduction in the interest payments total. And that also means that they are are going to have to uh, operate very quickly. In terms of bringing the interest rate reduction forward in order not to seem very political, uh, I don't think that is going to be lost on the electorate you do need a few months before the lower interest rates to have a net positive income on consumer spending. Perhaps it will delay the reduction in the unemployment rate, but it is also going to push up the inflation rate either in the next two to three months or a bit later. Here is the quandary this administration runs. In the past, you could play play political games like this. You could cut the interest rate, you could provide stimulus before the elections, And then you can suffer the consequences after the elections once you have been re-elected or elected. Now, we are coming down from a situation of extremely high interest rates. So the choice is also being removed from the government because they cannot afford to make that political mistake again Mm. in terms of allowing inflation to go up. And that's the risk they are running. They certainly are. Sri, when we are uh, looking at the U.S. economy, are you surprised at the strength you're seeing, or you know, are you expecting a? a do you think that it's going to continue to do that? Are you expecting a recession? I mean, retail sales still look pretty good, even though people always worry about the consumer. You know, the numbers have been decent. What do you see happening to the U.S. economy? The U.S. economy, I think there are two things that history tells you. One is. The economy continues to do very well until such a time that it just falls off a cliff. And that's what happened in 2007. We saw October, November unemployment rate remaining relatively low. And in the first half of 2008, unemployment started to increase quite sharply. So that's one note of warning from history. The second is the amount of stimulus that is in the system today, both in the form of fiscal spending as well as monetary easing, is unprecedented. And we have so much stimulus there that that is also causing a delay in the recession. The Mm. question is, can you buy off eternal prosperity by doing that? My answer is, no, you cannot. You can postpone the recession, but you can't completely ban it. 
So I do still, still see the recession for the first half of 2024. So we had, you know, if that's the case and we we have a recession what it, are we back to a situation where the fed has to make a choice because this is what i think has led people to factor in and price in all the easing is the anticipation that we will eventually go into recession so if you see recession but you see sticky inflation what does that mean for the fed what it means for the fed if it is sticky at between 3 and 4% uh, inflation rate maggie and you have a recession, the Fed just pauses and says, we haven't given up our fight on inflation, mm -hmm. but we have a twin mandate. It is not only inflation, but we also have to worry about uh, employment. We are now focusing on employment without taking our eyes away from inflation, and we will come back to it very soon. So that's the excuse you provide. Political excuse, it's not an economically rational one. We should point out the Fed has put the forecast in, but they haven't eased, and they and they and presumably, if that data starts to turn, they'll be data dependent. They've always said that, but the problem is that they've by by simply suggesting it's in the forecast now, the markets run far ahead of them. Right. Talk to me about rates because <clears throat> we had, you know, with with this expectation now, you certainly have a camp of people who are going back and ratcheting down their forecast for 2024 when it comes to where interest rates will be. But I will say that two of the analysts in that piece that we just ran, while they're talking in the short term about the powerful forces that could extend this market reaction that we've seen, this, this rally in stocks and bonds, longer term, a couple of them are worried. They disagree. They're not all on the same page. But Jim Bianco and Jim Carson both think that the 10-year is going back above five. Jim thinks it's possible we hit 5.5. Now, we talked to him before the Fed meeting, so I don't want to ever hold anybody when, when, when there are market developments. But they see a risk that this, this, we, we're going to see another ricochet in bond markets. It's like you know we've, we've seen seven, and they've been so painful. How do you see this, this scenario now playing out in the Treasury market based on your forecast? First of all, let's start with the Federal Reserve, and then we'll go to the long-dated treasuries. Federal Reserve, I think, I don't think they are going to cut as much as some of these analysts are anticipating. You're not going to have a five, six cuts in interest rates during calendar year 2024. If anything, they do a couple of them, and they find by then inflation remains very sticky, and they pause on rate declines rather than keep on cutting. So that's the first point I would make. Now let's go to the long-dated treasuries. I disagree, and I have said that repeatedly over the last year to two years, that anywhere around 4%, uh, the 10-year treasury is very attractive. It is If it goes up any higher, it's not going to stay there. We hit a high of 5.02 in October. But then anywhere around there, if you bought it, and you're going to be a holder for two to three years at least, you're going to do very well in terms of not only cash income, but on top of that, a capital gain. Why is that? One, I don't think we are back to 9% inflation rate anytime soon, like we had in the middle of 2022, unless economic policy goes haywires. We don't believe that. We don't trust, expect that. So yeah, I'm looking for it to be sticky at 3 to 4%, 
rather than rush up much higher. That would argue for 10-year and 30-year treasuries not going up significantly in terms of yield, but indeed going down further. Second, mm -hmm. it's been said that with the fiscal spending being such a big issue for the United States, deficit getting out of control, some point the U.S. Treasury is going to have difficulty financing its deficits. I do not subscribe to that. I don't like the fiscal deficit. I do not condone the fiscal profligacy, but I don't think it is going to cause the yield to go up on the bond side. Why is that? If you had the story of five or 10 years ago, the Chinese renminbi becoming the dominant currency in the world, and all capital rushing into China as a competitor to the US Treasury, you may have had that situation today. But what has happened is that the United States stands alone as the sole beacon, as a safe haven for investors to go to. And we have the advantage of being almost the only good house in the neighborhood, even though this house is not good enough. And I like that. <laughs> it's like the dirty shirt, the, the, the dirtiest shirt, the cleanest shirt and dirty laundry, rather. Exactly, exactly. So that's the situation we are in. And it is lucky for the United States, it's lucky for all of us who live here, that that is what is happening. And therefore, I believe that the 10-year Treasury yields are not going up uh, just because of the fiscal deficit. We're going to take another quick break to hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. Join over 5,000 attendees for the largest AI event in Asia, Super AI in Singapore, June 5th and 6th, 2024. Edward Snowden, Benedict Evans, Balaji Srinivasan, and over 150 others will hit the stage, joining the industry's most influential to explore and unveil the next wave of transformative AI technologies. Singapore will become a vibrant AI hub for a full week from June 3rd to the 9th with over 150 side events that will make for unparalleled networking opportunities. Visit superai.com for 20% off tickets with the code REALVISION. Look for the link in the description. We have Ralph asking, given your view, um, what do you expect about the U.S. dollar? Do you see it strengthening or weakening from here? Uh, we are. I uh, before I came on the show, I looked at the U.S. dollar. It has weakened again. The DXY, the dollar index, is trading at about 102 and change. Over the past month, we have come from about 104, 105, and uh, it's fallen off a cliff after the Powell speech on Wednesday. But then. I don't see the dollar losing much uh, altitude hereafter, Maggie. And the mm -hmm. reason is the other countries, other major currencies are also going to be e uh, easing. The European Central Bank and the Bank of England, while they are holding on and they gave tougher messages on Thursday compared with what we heard from Powell on Wednesday, Mm. They are eventually, they are also going to have to ease, but their economies are in, especially the Eurozone economies in worse shape than the United States. And they are going to have more of a uh, easing of monetary policy. So I'm looking, if you were to look at the euro, for instance, for the dollar to be somewhere between 
105, 1.25 and 1.1 euro. So a dollar and five cents to dollar and 10 cents. So it is just going to be on that range. Right now it's about a dollar and nine cents today. And if the ECB eases, then I think it's going to go to about 104, 105, but then we are going to be trading in that range. The big question mark for the dollar is going to be what happens to the Japanese yen. The Bank of Japan has repeatedly given indication they are going to give up on yield curve control. They have partially given up, but they have not fully done so yet. So once they do, instead of being at 141, 142 yen per dollar, we are probably going to see the yen uh, move closer toward the 120 mark or even the 100 mark. And that in turn, the stronger yen is probably one way in which the weaker dollar gets reflected in global markets. So the only currency that I see that has a significant potential for appreciation versus the dollar is probably going to be the Japanese yen. Mm. So I wanted to ask you about China because uh, we were, you know, if you look at commodities, they've been down. it's been quite a decline. You know, you mentioned oil before, but across the board, commodities have been down. Some people suggesting that that signals recession. Earlier this week, Jim said, yeah, it signals economic weakness, but in China. How important is China when we look at this global economic puzzle? And do are you concerned that they are running out of policy options to try to revive that economy? Uh- you have two questions there. First of all, how important is China? China is much less important today mm. than it was even three years ago. And the reason is, if you look at the Chinese trade statistics, uh, their export-import statistics are all much reduced compared with where they were before. So in other words, China is becoming a more an isolated economy in terms from an economic point of view, not political, not geopolitical. But I'm talking economically, it has become more self-contained. They are forced to look more at domestic consumption for their stimulus rather than from exports. Mm. You're going to have a few countries which are very dependent on uh, China as a market. Three of them come to mind. In Europe, it is Germany, which is a big export power, and uh, China is a particularly important market. Australia, for, for which... China is by far the important destination. And thirdly, in Latin America, it is Brazil, which is dependent on Chinese uh, uh, exports to China. So if you set those three countries aside, I think the impact on the rest of the world is going to be relatively minor. Interesting. So we we heard when we first ran the compilation of you know the different voices that we had on this week, at the end, um, Jim was talking about when everything's moving this way is exactly when you should sort of worry. Um, and we had an in-depth conversation yesterday about where he sees some concern. You know, we we have everyone now talking about getting back into bonds. We have everyone talking about, you know, maybe the uh, rally is going to broaden and the, the beat-up areas of the stock market are going to do well, small caps, bank stocks. Where do, are you, if you're worried, where are you, where do you think the concern is? What are you worried about happening? I think the concern should be for the trader. And again, as we always mention, 
I don't look at it from a trading perspective, but look at it from a top-down macro perspective. So if you say that you have a two to three-year time horizon and you're essentially going to close your eyes, you're not going to read or look at financial news for the next couple of years. You're going to be in 10-year and 30-year treasuries. You're going to do very well at the end of two to three years. But with all of these people jumping in to long-dated paper in the last three or four days, and then if they were, if they, that move turned out to be in excess, you might well have a correction take place in the short term with yields moving up and people losing money in it. But if you were to stick with it, as I suggested sticking with it, even when the 10-year went up to 502, mm. I said it is not going to go up much higher. We had some famous names in the markets who talked about 6%, 7% yield on the 10-year. I said it's simply not going to get there because the US dollar is too unique. The treasuries are so precious in the global scene that the funds will rush into it. So I think what you're going to see is perhaps a swing in terms of short-term trade opportunities and losses, but you're not going to see a permanent hit because of all of the surge that we have seen in the last 10 days. And what about U.S. equities, Sri? How do you feel about that? I mean, we've seen a huge move for some of them. How do you feel about the equity market as we turn into 24? There is one, again, fall in equities, uh, that one reason why they should drop. And again, I look closely at history and where the things turn out to be negative. For example, if you go to the 1970s, the failure of the Penn Central in 1970, the failure of the Long Island and New York-based bank Franklin National in 1974 were both very important events in the markets and they caused equities to correct significantly along with and then were a factor in causing the recession of 1975. But once you go through it, the equities are going to benefit from the fact that you have a stimulus coming from the fiscal side and the monetary side. What do we learn from it today for our today's experience? I would say to you that equities right now are facing competition from fixed income. Mm. Second, they have already run up substantially, as you said at the beginning, in terms of where the equities are, how high they have been uh, uh, during calendar year 2023 in terms of the various major indexes. But the next step is going to be a correction. But I don't think the correction is going to last very long because you have a Federal Reserve which is very eager to please the equity holders mm. rather than mitigate inflation. You have a fiscal stimulus which Janet Yellen would be really very happy to turn on during an election year. Uh, and the only thing that will hold back is if you can't spend more money in, uh, because of congressional obstruction, then you're at least going to have a lot of monetary stimulus to help the equities. So summary, some short-term headwind, but then you have a decline in equities. Then if you have a credit event, if you have a, a recession, that in turn prompts more uh, stimulus and then the pickup again in the equity side. Amazing, amazing stuff. Sri, you have such a 
a fantastic way of threading some of the sort of macro fundamentals into what's happening in the markets. It's not easy to do. So we we love having you with us Thank so you. that you can do that for us. Thank you. I, I, it sounds like based on what you're saying, it's going to be um, a sort of mentally challenge. We're going to have to steal ourselves <laughs> for, for this turn into 24 because they're going to be once again, cross currents to deal with. Um, just for anyone who wasn't part of the, who didn't get a chance, and I know it's been a busy week. Everyone's just kind of wrapping up for year end. If you didn't get a chance to check check out the Crypto Academy Live that we did uh, over the last two days, I highly recommend you do so. Um, we did a great session with Denise Shull today. Um, many of you, our regular members, are familiar with her about really the psychology behind trading and how to think about this, how to recognize what's really happening in yourselves. Every time she's on, it's just mind-blowing. So I encourage you to check that out. And of course, Beth Kindig was on as well with some amazing insights if you are thinking about dipping your toe into equities. And Raul and Julian did a macro update uh, today as well. So a lot of great stuff to catch up on. And Jem's yesterday warning. And Sri, uh, we'll send you that link as well. Jem was very Thank concerned you. about something breaking but coming from derivatives. Um, and uh, some of these things weren't around in some of the other historical periods we looked at. And he's really deep in that space. So that was a really, really interesting um, observation on his part. So anyone who hasn't had a chance to check that out, please do, because it's something we're going to be talking about. Sri, so lovely to have you on. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Great to be with you. And I, again, when we set this date for talking, I didn't realize it was going to be at the end of an exciting week, Maggie. You created that as well <laughs> to make it even more interesting. Hardly, if only I had those powers. <laughs> uh, but 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 it's true, which is even even a better reason that we were able to end it with you and get your your wisdoms free. So thank you for that. Programming note, everyone: um, the RV marketplace is going live. Uh, Samuel and Raul, are, I think I misspoke yesterday, are going to do a town hall on it on Tuesday at 10 a.m. to explain all about it, what it's about, what you can expect, where you can find it, how it works. Um, really fantastic stuff. A lot of our regular contributors are going to be a part of it, and there'll be more rolling out in the coming weeks we can announce. I'm just going to give you that teaser because Samuel and Raul are really going to have all the information. The Exponentialist was the first one. You know about that. But as we said, more are starting to drop. So go ahead and put that on your calendar for next week as we roll into the holidays. But everybody, have a fantastic weekend. Hope the merry festivities begin for a lot of us. And Sri, we'll see you again soon. Thanks so much. Thank you very much. Happy holidays, Maggie. Thanks, you too. Happy, happy weekend, everybody. I'll be back with you next week. It's not over yet. We've got one more week of this crazy year to get through. So hope you'll join us for that. In the meantime, take care and good luck out there, everybody. Thank <laughs> you.